uh, Acts chapter 16 this morning. We begin a new chapter in our study of the book of Acts. And uh, we, we come now to a, a section that uh, leads us into uh, a new journey for the Apostle Paul, a, a second missionary journey. We've just completed the first. And of course, as we saw in the last couple of chapters, uh, the first journey wasn't without its great trials. It wasn't without its great uh, struggles and challenges in ministry. As we begin here in Acts 16, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5, and that's our text for this morning. Uh, we're going to see some new dynamics within the relationship between Paul and his uh, partners in the faith. And uh, especially since they are new to this missionary endeavor of Paul. Let's all stand, if you can. And join me as we read God's Word together. Acts 16, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> and as we do every Sunday, let's read together, let's read aloud, and then we will pray. Acts 16, verse 1. Then he came to Derba and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you for your precious word this morning and for another opportunity, Lord, to learn and to grow in your grace, knowledge, and wisdom. We pray, Father, for the anointing and blessing of your spirit to be upon each and every person here this morning. We ask that you would open eyes and ears and hearts and minds to what your word has to say to us and how that word, Lord God, will not only encourage us, but strengthen us for the days ahead. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. I think that you would agree with me that any journey of a great distance requires an appropriate amount of time for preparation, for the securing of needed supplies, and even for the decisions that have to be made when it applies to travel companions. I've heard stories of people who find it necessary to take a long journey immediately, but because they weren't given sufficient time to prepare for it, or they didn't take sufficient time to prepare for it, they traveled without certain necessities and ended up being both below budget and behind the proverbial eight ball in meeting fundamental needs. Well, such was not the case with the Apostle Paul. Though there would be a significant change in his ministry uh, personnel and his missionary personnel and his companionship, 
Paul had to give much thought in who should accompany him for the second missionary journey. We all know that it was not wise to to travel alone in those perilous times on precarious and dangerous roads. And it was already clear that Paul had Silas in mind after the contention that he had had with, with Barnabas. As a matter of fact, it's important to go back just a few verses in Acts chapter 15 there at the end of the previous chapter to see this contention again and how that leads into the second journey. Verse 39 says, Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. Now we dealt with this issue at length last week, and so I encourage you to get the CD or listen to it on the website later. The contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. What's interesting about that, of course, is that from here on we don't hear of Barnabas again. Although that uh, tradition would teach us that he stayed in Cyprus until his death many, many years later. But Mark, of course, we will hear of later as he comes back into the life of Paul. But at this particular point in verse 40 it says, But Paul chose Silas. And departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now we ought not to think that Paul and Silas left in a huff over this particular matter, over this contention that they had. Time had to be taken for Paul to consider this man from Jerusalem. This man whose Roman name was Silvanus, his name we know as Silas as he looks at him for the work of the ministry in Asia Minor. How long do you think it would, it would take? Most commentators would tell us that uh, it was about five years between missionary journeys, so that's a good while. Staying in the area of Antioch uh, to encourage the church there, to serve the Lord there. But all the while preparing for the next phase of, of ministry. Nearly five years. So it's, it's, it's important for us to understand the length of time that's involved here. That these weren't just uh, uh, quick and uh, capricious decisions to be made and then on we go. Whether it works or not, we'll see. Too often we act that way in the ministry. Oh, we'll see what happens and if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But, but Paul was a man of prayer. Paul was a man who sought the face of the Lord. He desired to know what God wanted for him and for those who were going to be with him. In ministry, But another thought is very important here. It's important to note that in some things, Paul could actually be very intensely independent. Uh, but he never set himself up. And this is what we need to know. He never set himself up as a freelance missionary. In other words, he never set himself over and above the church. He never put himself apart from the church. What he did, he always did within the context of the body of Christ. He always did it within the context of the leadership of the body of Christ. So he did not wander away. You know, we oftentimes will make certain independent decisions based upon, you know, the, the, the moving of the Holy Spirit or based upon our desire to know what God wants. We take it from His Word. And sometimes we have to act independent of what others may be doing. But we do it for the sake of the church and for the sake of the kingdom of God. So Paul didn't separate himself. In other words, he was called and commissioned by the Lord. And although he was called and commissioned by the Lord, not so much by the church, he never acted in isolation and independence from his brethren. 
He never acted in isolation or independence from the body of Christ, from the church. And, and that's a good thing to note now because we have too many people nowadays who like to act independent from the church, do their own thing, say they don't need the church, say they don't need fellowship, say they don't need to have somebody tell them what to do. You know, and they use, always use that little phrase, well, who made you the Holy Spirit? Well, nobody made any of us the Holy Spirit, but we're trying to listen to the Spirit so that we might work in context and in communion with other phases or parts of the body of Christ. We need, we need to understand that. So in fact, it is fair to say that Paul sought the blessing and prayer fellowship of the church before leaving. It's very clear that uh, he always worked within the context of the church. And there is no greater preparation for any journey than that, to seek the blessing and the prayer fellowship of the church for the work of ministry. No greater preparation. And it was, that, it was so important that it, it was nearly five years before he takes another step in, in missionary uh, journeys. So you see that all Christian workers need that support. All Christian workers need the support and the fellowship and the prayers of the body of Christ, of the church. Why? Because we are members of the body of Christ and we're members of one another. Whether we want to believe that or not, or whether we want to, you know, just, you know, whether we, we might not like some of us here, you know, we might, but you know what, you can't, you, you, you might not like, you might not like me, but you know what, you've got to love me. And that's the same with me, I, I may not like you, but I love you. No, I like y'all. <laughs> I don't like what you always do, but I like you, I do, you know. But you say the same thing about me, see, we're human. We learned that last week about Paul and Barnabas, they were human. But the fact of the matter is, we're members of the body of Christ. We're members of one another. This was something Paul, the apostle, taught the, the church in Rome. In Romans 12, verses 3 through 5, he says, For I say, through the, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now think about that, all believers in this room. Each one of us has a measure of faith. And then he says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are, the body of, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So it isn't just the idea that we have to believe that we're, that we're one together or in one accord together the idea is that it is the word of God that this is what God has brought together of all of us so we are members of each other whether we like that or not and we just need to grow up in Christ and grow up in the understanding of that but even the contention with Barnabas that Paul had even that contention was to a certain extent a preparation for the upcoming journey Paul being scarred by the recent quarrel. And we talked about that scarring. We talked about that pain of that contention of that split between two men who were actually brought together by God in Acts 13. Being scarred by this, this recent quarrel still, Paul needed to know that his brethren had full confidence in him. And what we read is that they did because they commended Paul and Silas to the grace of God. So that's an important thing. 
that the church commended their work, commended them in the grace of God. So now the journey would begin. And so began this fruitful expansion of the work that the Lord gave Paul and his companion, which was to confirm and to strengthen the churches that he had established. To confirm and to strengthen. Now a lot can happen in five years. And because we noted last time that Paul had a tremendous pastor's heart for the churches that he had begun, or that he had a hand in in seeing start. And his desire was to know how they were doing. You know, they didn't have email, they didn't have text messages, they didn't have phones, they didn't have anything, any kind of communication, unless somebody traveled long distances over a long period of time. But they, he wanted to see the progress himself. And so this is now the beginning of this second journey. We're told that he came to Durba and Lystra in verse 1 of Acts 16. He came to Derba and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek, a Gentile. Well, we'll get to that part in just a moment. Let's just consider the fact that he came to Derba and Lystra. (laughs) What does that tell us about Paul? Well, it was in this particular area, in particular Lystra, where where he had uh, actually been stoned nearly to death kicked out of the city stoned what we're learning about Paul in this particular section now as we move on is that Paul was a proven leader Paul had had gone through the paces. Paul had gone through the struggles and the trials and the tribulations and the persecutions. Paul was a proven leader. We have two men going on this journey, Paul and Silas. Paul was the proven leader. Silas was the patient follower. What we need to understand is that both are needed in the church today. All the more today. Proven leadership, patient following. You see, we we, we have to get beyond this thought that we have to always have everything right away and have everything the right way, have everything our way, and when we want it. Silas was going along by faith with Paul. What's going to happen? They had a long journey to do this. But Paul was a proven leader. He'd been there before. But Silas, he says, you know, we've got a long way to go, so let's, let's... Let's learn together. Let's talk together. Let's fellowship together in the Lord. We need to get a little idea now of this traveling that Paul and Silas had to do in their day to accomplish their missionary journey. This this really becomes another important aspect of understanding these kinds of journeys or these kinds of trips that Paul took, you know, for the sake of the gospel. Just think about it in these terms. Walking from Antioch in Syria to Tarsus in Cilicia was 150 miles. Again, walking. The first thing they had to do was walk 150 miles. And then from uh, walking from Tarsus to Derba, depending on how they crossed the Taurus, Taurus mountain range, which was going to be in between uh, Tarsus and Derba, that would be about 100 miles. And then, walking from Durba to Lystra was 50 miles. So, altogether, this was a 300-mile journey. That's a long time to talk. 
That's a long time to share. That's a long time to grow in. I mean, we're not talking, we're not talking hours. We're not talking days. We're talking weeks. Maybe a month or so. Two months. But this, this, is, this is the kind of patient following that we need to do as, as, as members of the body of Christ and the kind of proven leadership that needs to be given to the church on a daily basis. It, it, it goes over a long period of time. It covers a lot of ground. Nothing can be solved in a day. Nothing can be solved in a, in a week. It takes time. It takes prayer. It takes fellowship. It takes learning. It takes discipling. It takes many things to build this kind of a relationship. And so Derba was a city where Paul had had great success on the first journey. And so they, they come to Derba and then to Lystra. But in Derba they had this success. We're told in Acts 14.21 when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. So many disciples were made in Derba. A successful journey. A successful uh, outreach. A successful time there. But it was in Lystra where Paul had been left for dead after a man had been healed by by the ministry of Paul and Barnabas and the people, if you remember, they thought they were gods so they were trying to sacrifice to them but then the Jews who had opposed Paul had come and and stirred up the people and so the people just really uh, turned on, on Paul and Barnabas which caused them to take Paul out and they stoned him and all thinking him to be dead and of course uh, he got up out of that and wanted to go right back into the city of Lystra and he did but the bright spot in, in returning to Lystra was Paul's reintroduction to a young man whose name was Timotheus Timotheus we call him Timothy but I mentioned Timotheus because it, it, it uh, has to do with what his name literally means it means honoring God or a God-honoring person. Honoring God. That was what Timothy was. A man who honored God. It's believed that Timothy and his mother were converted during Paul's first missionary journey. If you remember in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, when Paul writes to, to Timothy there, his last letter... He says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. It is a reminder to us that at some point in time, Paul had indeed met Timothy there in Lystra with his mother Eunice, his grandmother Lois. And Timothy, because of his mother's influence and his grandmother's influence as well, was brought up as much, if not more, a Jew than a Gentile, although his father was a Gentile. And the foundation in the scriptures that he had through, through them blossomed even more under the influence of the gospel brought to them by Paul. So there had already been a, a somewhat of a spiritual foundation laid in, in Timothy's life, but that, of course, altogether grew when Paul came to Lystra and preached the gospel, and they came to know Jesus Christ 
So there are those who even believe that this family was instrumental in helping Paul after his stoning. When you go back to Acts 14, verse 20, it says, However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. Well, those disciples, some of them, quite possibly could have been this family. And uh, more than likely was. Those who had helped him from his stoning and took him back into the city. So that was a connection. And that's why, that's why I say that Paul, when he gets to Lystra, is reintroduced to this young man named Timothy. Now Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, goes on to report that Timothy had a good reputation in the churches. And not, ju- and not just in his own hometown. Word did spread in those smaller areas and smaller communities of those who were indeed uh, committed wholeheartedly to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're told in verse 2 of our text that he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Now Iconium was about 20 miles away from Lystra. And so apparently young Timothy had already shown that God had a special calling on his life. Sometimes we get the wrong idea of who might be called by God to the ministry. We think that it's going to be the person who is the most popular, the best looking, the best athlete, the most articulate, the one who has a lot of degrees on his wall. The real test is not any of those things. The real test is the fruit of a person's life. The real test is the fruit of a person's character. The real test is the fruit of a believer's life. You know, when the Lord wanted to prove to the nation of Israel that He had called Aaron and his family to be the priests of the nation, He had each tribe put a staff in front of the Ark of the Covenant for a night. You can read this in Numbers chapter 17. I bring this up primarily because a couple of weeks ago on our Wednesday night study of the book of Jeremiah, we were, we were mentioning this particular passage. So each tribe, as, as, as God had wanted, they, they put a staff in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And in the morning, Aaron's staff had budded with leaves, with flowers, and even ripe almonds. It was the fruit, you see, that proved Aaron's calling. It was the fruit. And even a young man like Timothy can bear much fruit for the kingdom of God and of Christ. It it excites me and, and, and it thrills me to no end when I see young people here in the church who love Jesus and really love Jesus and show that love in their life. Show it in the way that they... Uh, they're excited about knowing Jesus. They're excited about telling their friends and their family about Jesus Christ. It's a joy to see. And, and it's something that we can thank the Lord for, for those who are teaching our young people about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So even young people, but it doesn't, you know, we're, we're not to confine that excitement or that exuberance for Christ. We're not to, you know, confine that to just young people or even to old people or mature or whatever you want to call it. Whoever loves Jesus Christ should be stirred in their heart to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. 
And so this was something that was seen in the life of Timothy by those not only in his own city of Lystra, but, by even, but even in, in, in the other churches in the area. So as Paul arrives there to Derba and then Lystra, we're told in verse 3 of our text that Paul wanted to have him, Timothy, go on with him. Now again, this is not one of those, you know, drop the, the, the thought in my mind and let's just do it. Remember, they've been traveling a long way. Remember that if he indeed already knew Timothy, that there were some thoughts. I wonder how Timothy is doing. And maybe in arriving at Lystra, he's hoping to see Timothy. Lord, if Timothy's there, in these past five years, he's probably grown and he's ready for ministry. Let's see. And maybe in arriving to Durba, he may have asked some people, do you know Timothy from Lystra? Oh, he's such a light for the glory of Christ. And maybe that was confirmation in Paul's heart that this was something that he could, he could observe and examine in Timothy's life in the time that they're there in Lystra. So this wasn't just a, a thought that comes to mind. Oh, do you want to go with us? You see, it takes preparation. And part of that preparation is knowing who you have with you. Knowing the character of those that work with you. Paul wanted to have him go on with him and he took him. And, and then you think, well, you know, all this is happening so fast because he takes him and circumcises him. Well, that's surprising, isn't it? Because in the whole last chapter, we've seen Paul going around talking about all the fact that you don't need to be circumcised, telling Gentiles, you don't need to be circumcised to be saved. But you see, that's not the issue. Timothy's already saved. So let's examine here. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek, which means he was a Gentile. Okay, let's look, examine the whole verse. The first phrase of this verse is quite clear in its message. Paul wanted Timothy to do something. If we examine that phrase in the Greek very carefully, this is what it says. Paul wanted Timothy to take the field as a soldier in the ministry. He wanted to have him go with him. He wanted him to take the field as a soldier in the ministry. Folks, this wasn't just Timothy's ordination. It was also his enlistment. Paul was enlisting him into the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ as a soldier in the field. Paul would remind Timothy, as a matter of fact, during some of the young man's darkest hours in ministry, again, in the second letter of Paul to Timothy, Paul's very last letter to anyone before he goes to his death for Christ. He has to remind Timothy, someone who has, who has endured some hardship in the ministry, but, but is struggling to the point of fear, to the point of, of struggling in the ministry. Paul has to remind him in 2 Timothy 2 verses 3 and 4, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. In, in essence, he's telling Timothy... You know, some of the things that you're struggling with, you've entangled yourself again in this life. And you know what? You need to remember who enlisted you. 
in the ministry. So it's interesting that at the onset of Timothy's ministry with Paul, that he's reminded to be a soldier. He's told that he's going to be a soldier in the field. Now, there was one major dilemma with Timothy as far as Paul was concerned. By Jewish law, Timothy was a Jew because he was the son of a Jewish mother. But because he was uncircumcised, he was technically an apostate Jew. And if Paul wished to maintain his links with the synagogue, you remember that Paul always went into a city and the first place he looked for was a synagogue. He always went to the Jew first, even though he was the apostle to the Gentiles. He always went to the Jews first. And so in in wanting to maintain those links with the synagogue, he could not be seen as tolerating apostasy. Because the Jews wouldn't accept it. And so the dilemma could be easily remedied if Timothy would submit to the painful operation of, of circumcision. Again, this takes time. How long, we don't know exactly, but it it doesn't just, you know, you don't get circumcised and go on into the ministry the next day. Hurts. Takes time. Healing. Take, you know, a while. So, you understand. But you also have to think about the decision. Was he forced to be circumcised? No. This was not Paul's M.O. This was not the way Paul worked. But there had to be time for prayer, and there also had to be time of preparation. Timothy, we're going to go among Jews. I know that you have a Jewish mother. That makes you a Jew. But I understand you had a a, a a, a Gentile father. Now, more than likely, because of him, you weren't circumcised. Is that true? That's true then you need to be circumcised. Because we don't want to lose these Jews by this apparent apostasy. So, there was time to pray. And I tell you what, being a young man, at this time about 20 years old, he said, you know, that was about 20 years ago that should have happened, you know. But, okay, let's pray. Let's wait. So the dilemma was going to be easily remedied if if Timothy would submit. Now, let's go to the other issue, or the other side of the issue. I mean, it seems so ironic and contradictory of Paul to have Timothy be circumcised. Again, as I said, in Acts 15, Paul had argued strongly that it was not necessary for converts to come under the law of Moses for salvation. Now, at the time that Paul met Timothy here, what was he doing? With Silas, in other words, right here in Acts 16. Well, they were delivering the very decree of the Jerusalem Council to all the Gentile churches. What we studied long and hard through chapter 15 about. That Gentiles did not have to be circumcised to be saved. They did not have to, you know, submit under, you know, these various laws of the Jews to be saved. In other words, you don't have to be a good Jew to be a a good Christian. So, with that in mind, again, let's look at verse 4, because that that gives us the picture here. As they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep. 
which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. So why does Paul tell Timothy to be circumcised? Doesn't this contradict the decree? Well, of course not. Why? Because Timothy's already saved. He's not doing it for salvation, in other words. So, so Paul would never tell Timothy to become circumcised for the sake of legalism, either. Do it for the sake of legalism. No, that's not what Paul is, 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 is wanting Timothy to do. But he would ask him to do so for the sake of love. He would ask him to do it for the sake of love. Timothy wasn't circumcised for the sake of his salvation. He was circumcised for the sake of ministry. Understand. Now, Timothy's uncircumcision, which was before, wouldn't be a hindrance because now he's circumcised. It wouldn't be a hindrance to his and Paul's ability to preach and to reach the Jews around the world for Jesus. It wouldn't be a hindrance. We understand, Timothy, that your father was a Gentile. Are you circumcised? Yes, I am. Then we'll listen. Do you understand how simple that point is? Paul was willing to do whatever it took to reach people with the gospel, especially his own people. He was even willing to limit some of his own freedom if it might open a, an opportunity for someone to trust in the Lord. And he writes about this very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19-23. through 23. He says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant of, uh, to all, that I might win the more. I, I want you to see the attitude of, of Paul's heart here. Though I am free from all men, no man tells me what to do. In other words, I'm not a man pleaser, I'm a God pleaser. We know that he wrote this, so many words in the book of Galatians. I, I, I'm free from all men, I, I made myself... Nonetheless, I voluntarily make myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew, which is an interesting thing because he was Jew. <laughs> but he says, and to the Jews, I became as a Jew. Please, please understand, he's not acting the part because he is a Jew. But he says, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. Was, was Paul submitting himself to the law? No. But understanding the law and knowing the law, he came under the law with those under the law so that he might preach Christ to them and they would come to the Lord. And then he says to those who are without law, as without law. But then he, 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 you know, he, he gives us a, parenth a parenthetical thought. He says not being without law toward God. In other words, I, in other words I'm, not, I'm not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. In other words, having the law of Christ in my heart, which is the law of love, toward these who are without law, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as, a, as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. I think that if you understand Paul's heart, you realize that what he's saying is something totally different than what people think Paul is saying. When they say, well, see, I, I want to become all things to all men. So I'm going to go out to the bars and I'm going to go out to the nightclubs and I'm going to be like all the, the world. 
and try to win them to Christ. You won't win them to Christ if you, if you become like them. If you become like them, they've won you to their side. Please understand that. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not compromising, Paul is not compromising his, his love for the Lord. He's not compromising his stand for the truth. He's not compromising his love for the law. He's not compromising his love for the law of Christ. He's not compromising his love for the Word of God. He is saying, I limit some things so that the world will see that I can see face to face with them and tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to learn a lot more about that in Acts chapter 17, the next chapter over, when he goes to Athens. And now when he deals with those that are in Athens, he has to deal philosophically in the sense of being on that page of philosophy because they were philosophers rather than religious people. So if you, if you get that picture then, understand verse 23. He says, Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you, for the gospel's sake. So it's not a matter of compromise. It is a matter of, of, of submitting himself to say, I understand where you are because I'm there with you. But I don't do what you do. Because there's a greater law. There's greater love. There's a greater person. And his name is Jesus Christ. So, let's not become like the world. That's not what Paul is saying. When he says, I become all things to all men. But he looks for the open door. To speak. On their level. To reach them for Christ. So Paul believed that the Gentiles would accept a missionary who was wholly Jewish much more readily than the Jews would accept a missionary who was half Gentile, you see. And again, another reason for the circumcision. We would have to consider that this request was not so difficult for Timothy since what was being established between him and Paul was a relationship between an obedient son and a faithful, caring father. That's, that is what eventually we're going to see in the, in, in the relationship between Paul and Timothy. A father-son relationship. Paul becoming Timothy's father in the faith. Timothy becoming Paul's son in the faith. Listen to the, 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 the writings of Paul later on after this relationship has has. has established and has, has blossomed. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 through 17. Again, Paul says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. In other words, if anything, I am your spiritual father. I have begotten you through the gospel. Notice verse 16. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. Look at the confidence that he has in Timothy to say, He is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. That the very stamp of Christ that was on Paul is the very stamp that is on Timothy. And that if you want to know Paul's heart, you're going to see it in Timothy. He called him an, a beloved and faithful son in the Lord. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, 
When Paul writes his first letter to Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope, he says to Timothy, a true son in the faith. Speaking of the character of Timothy's heart, being a true son, one who was true and, and honest and real, a real son in the faith for, for Paul. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Not only was there a paternal relationship developing here, but there would eventually be a partnership in the faith. A partnership between Paul and Timothy, one of being co-workers in Christ. So it was much more than just this relationship of father and son. Romans 16 verse 21. Toward the end of that particular letter, he's giving greetings of those that have been with, with him or with him. He says, Timothy, my fellow worker. What a tremendous statement that is. We, we might not think it is a great statement. It's a great statement. Timothy, my fellow worker. For Paul to say that. You know, we, we, you know, we, we honestly elevate Paul much in the ministry. You know, Paul the Apostle, man, he was you know, steadfast in the faith and he wrote all the letters of doctrine in the, in, in, in the New Testament and whatnot. Uh, and so on and so forth. We lift Paul up. Of course, last week we realized he was human. And of course he was. But he was also human in this. He was human in the fact that he, he was a man who probably did have his own children. But Timothy became his son. And he loved him like a real son. And he acted toward him as a real father. And this is, this is a reality of, of the heart of people who, who, who realize that God has placed someone in their lives to be just that person who can lead and, 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 and teach as a father to a son. But then to be a fellow worker, to say, you know, here, here's, here's Paul not elevating himself and saying, Timothy is with me, fellow worker. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 10. To the church in Corinth, he says, Now if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Another tremendous statement by Paul to say, you know, what Timothy does, he does the work of the Lord just like me. He's patterned his work just like mine. And, and, and you know, Paul is not uh, exaggerating. Paul is, is not uh, hyping himself up. You know, he's, he's not building himself up. He's just saying, you know, you know the work that I do for the Lord. And, it, and it's steadfast. Well, Timothy's is just like mine. You know, that's a tremendous statement about not only the character of Timothy's heart toward God, but also about his passion for the Lord. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 1, this, this to me is, is one of the great statements of this relationship. Because it is a letter by Paul to the church in, in, in Philippi, but he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Now he includes Timothy in this writing. He includes Timothy in, in, in this relationship of saying, we together are writing to you to encourage you in the joy of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, together. Isn't that a beautiful picture? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, so on and so forth. Well, later on in that same letter, Philippians 2, verses 19 to 23, this is what he says. And take note. Verse 19, he says to the church, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Remember, Paul is in prison at this time. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. 
For I have no one like-minded. Look at this. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Now he's not trying to downplay the others that may be with him. He's just saying there's no one like, like me. There's no one like Timothy because he's just like me. I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. He's saying, you know I have a pastor's heart, so does Timothy. There's no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. That's a strong statement. For all seek their own. Not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character. That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. He's ready to send Timothy without any reservation, without any provocation. He's ready to send Timothy because if he sends Timothy, he says, you'll be just like me. I will care for you. He will care for you just like I care for you. There's no one like him. And it brings to mind some questions we have to ask ourselves. Do we have a heart for the lost? Do we have a heart for the lost? When you think of what Timothy gave, what he sacrificed to go with Paul, brings up the question, what are we doing for the sake of the gospel? What will we be willing to do for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I can tell you right now, I'm not saying that you have to be circumcised. Not saying that. But the, but the question is still relevant. What are we willing to do? What will we be willing to do for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? To win the lost to Christ. What will we be willing to do? For answers to these questions, I only have one word. Pray. Pray. Ask God, Lord, what, what must I do? to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. What must I do to see the lost come to you? You see, we live in critical times today. People all around us are, are deceived. They're lost. They're confused. They think that somehow politically or militarily or, or financially or, or economically or whatever otherwise, you know, that, that, those are the, you know... Uh, environmentally, whatever it is. You know, people are thinking this. This is the salvation. No, there's only one way to be saved. And we know that way. It's Jesus Christ. We have that answer. We need to give that answer. What are we willing to do for the sake of the gospel? Timothy was willing to be circumcised at the age of 20. And again, we're not saying that's what you need to do, but what what must we sacrifice to honor God? Remember Timothy's name. It means to honor God. What are we willing to do to be a Timothy before the Lord? Well, let's read on. In verses 4 and 5 it says, And as they went through the cities, now we know that Timothy's with them, as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. You know, in other words, to abstain from 
things offered to idols, the blood, uh, from things strangled, from sexual immorality, and, and uh, keep them uh, from doing uh, those things, they would do well. So, they, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So as Paul, Silas, and Timothy went on their way through the region of South Galatia, they handed over copies of the decrees or those regulations from the letter from the apostles in Jerusalem for the Gentile churches to keep. The result was that the upsetting teachings of the Judaizers were frustrated. They were neutralized and they were offset. So with this in mind now, the Gentiles could come to Christ. They didn't have to worry about being circumcised or following the law. You didn't have to be a good Jew to be a good Christian. You just needed to know Jesus Christ. You needed to to, uh, receive Christ. And so what had been a crucial issue was now no longer a threat or a cause of division. Because the decree would be accepted then by all of those churches. So the churches were strengthened. What does it mean to be strengthened? They were established in the faith. They were established in the faith. You know, there's an order of importance. When you look at verse 5, the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. There's a thought today that says if we can increase before we do any strengthening, that that's that's really ought to be the pattern. This is the church growth pattern. You know, let's grow in numbers and then, then we'll strengthen. No, you don't strengthen by, growing in, by, by starting with numbers. You strengthen and then God gives the increase. That was the pattern in, in Jerusalem. It's to be the pattern throughout the book of Acts. You see, there's an order of importance here. Before there is an increase in numbers, there needs to be a strengthening. There needs to be an establishing, not only in faith, but in the faith, you see. That is, the churches grew in their understanding of the truth of the gospel and their obedience to its teachings and its precepts. The fact is, churches can be big in size, but weak in wisdom and understanding. Numbers aren't necessarily the proof of good things happening. What is? Fruit. Fruit is the the proof of good things happening. That's what we need to look for. The fruit. And part of God's program for the church should always be outreach. And I said part of the program. That's only one part of the program for the church that God has. The winning of souls. That should be something that we need to be considerate of. I'm thankful that here in the next week or so we're going to have this outreach for, for the Lord that the, that the single women are, are undertaking. We need to get behind them, pray with them, and, and, and serve with them. Because it's a matter of going out and bringing people to Jesus Christ. As somebody once said, we either evangelize or we fossilize. I know I've used that before. We either evangelize or we fossilize. There's two good ways of putting this as far as the program of the church. Encourage saints. That's what Paul did first. Encourage saints and then evangelize sinners. Encourage saints evangelize sinners and and that's really the order but it's also the plan of the Lord of course you know we can add worship to that because worship is a whole part of it that's the upward reach or upward call of God that God has given us to worship the Lord in everything that we do and then there's that inward that the teaching of the word of God that's that's what we do here we encourage the saints and then there's the outreach. So the upreach, the inreach, and the outreach. You know, this, this is the three-part plan of, of the Lord in the Scriptures. 
But in these two things, as Paul is, is given it to us, or here uh, as far as in his ministry, the churches were strengthened and increased in number daily. It is encouraging saints, evangelizing sinners. The two should go hand in hand, always hand in hand. The local church exists for both, not one or the other. So there are some churches that just want to focus on evangelism, but they don't have anything, any thoughts of teaching and, and growing these people who come to Christ. And we want to have it very clear that we want to make sure that everybody grows together, but even uh, at times you have to grow in the level that you're at in Christ. So we have new believers classes or, you know, from time to time, and, and when we have a number of people there for that, we do that. So we want to make the opportunity always to evangelize, to encourage, or to encourage first, and then you evangelize. And it brings, it brings me to this thought, and we're almost done here, and that is uh, something that Jesus said himself. He said in John 15, verse 60, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Now, in this particular verse of, of Jesus, there's a statement here that he makes that many people misinterpret. And they, they take it and, and, and they split it off from the first part of the verse, and that is, of course, the last, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. If I ask for you know, certain things, you know, I have to, he has to give it because I've asked, you see. And, and, and what they've done is they've taken that thought away from the context of the verse. Listen to what Jesus said. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And, and that's the context. Going and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. What are you to ask? God, I ask that you give me opportunity to bear fruit. God, I ask you that you give me the wisdom so that I might go out and bear fruit for your kingdom, for your glory, for your church. That's the context. We you know, people like to take things out of context. We need to read it in context. Jesus said, bear fruit. What does it take to bear fruit? It takes preparation. It takes prayer. It takes planning. It takes people. That's all that we've seen in, this, in these five verses. The preparation, the planning, the prayer, and the people. Are you preparing for the journey that the Lord has already prepared for you? You see, the Lord had already prepared. And next week we're going to realize how much God has prepared for Paul, Silas, and Timothy. But are we preparing for that journey? We don't know what we're going to do today. I mean, you might have a thought. Let's see, 10.30, if he hurries up, we can go to have brunch. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what we are preparing to do for the love of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the kingdom of God. What are we preparing to do? Are we preparing for that journey that the Lord has already prepared for you? Let me leave you with the words of Paul to the Ephesian church. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. You all are familiar with this. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're going to see next time that Paul wants to go this way and God says, no, I want you to go this way.
But we have to prepare for that. We have to prepare for that. Silas, being the faithful uh, and, and, and patient follower, has to look at Paul and say, you know, Paul, I'm going wherever you go, but it seems to me like the Lord wants you to go this way. <laughs> but Paul would receive that blessing from the Lord. He would receive that vision. We'll see that next time. I really wanted to get there today too, but it, it, I, I just felt that it was necessary for us to, to see this relationship between Paul and Timothy for what it was. And how that develops in their lives as they go along for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we preparing for the journey that God has for us? By the way, Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us we have a journey. He's prepared it beforehand. Now are we going to walk on that path? Are we going to obey the Lord in those things? Timothy obeyed the Lord even to the extent of being circumcised so that ministry could go forth to the Jews. And Silas laid down his position in the church in Jerusalem to be a partner with Paul in ministry. Sacrifice. What are we willing to give for the sake of the gospel? Let's pray.